John chapter 6. If you'd like to follow along with our confession of faith, that's will be on page 87. Taking a bit of a larger chunk tonight than what we probably are used to. There is a reason for that. I think that uh, certainly the metaphor that Jesus is unfolding in this passage, our understanding is helped if, if we look at a larger chunk of it. So uh, don't be alarmed. And I'll try to get us out before 10 p.m. John 6, uh, verse 22, reading through verse 58. This is God's word. It's given to us for our good. Let's give our attention to its reading. This is uh, right after the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus walking in the water. The next day... The crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there, and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. Uh, Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus." When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do? To do the works God requires. Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven. But it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. At this, the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. 
It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died. But he who feeds on this bread will live forever. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God endures forever. Amen. Article 35. It's a long article, so I'll read it for us. The Holy Supper of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here is the doctrine of our confession. We believe and confess that our Savior, Jesus Christ, did ordain and institute the sacrament of the Holy Supper to nourish and support those whom he has already regenerated and incorporated into his family, which is his church. Now those who are regenerated have in them a twofold life, the one corporal and temporal, which they have from the first birth and is common to all men, the other spiritual and heavenly, which is given them in their second birth, which is affected by the word of the gospel in the communion of the body of Christ. And this life is not common, but is peculiar to God's elect. In like manner, God has given us, for the support of the bodily and earthly life, earthly and common bread, which is subservient thereto and is common to all men, even as life itself. But for the support of the spiritual and heavenly life which believers have, he has sent a living bread, which descended from heaven, Namely, Jesus Christ, who nourishes and strengthens the spiritual life of believers when they eat him, that is to say, when they appropriate and receive him by faith in the Spirit. In order that he might represent unto us this spiritual and heavenly bread, Christ has instituted an earthly and visible bread as a sacrament of his body, and wine as a sacrament of his blood, to testify by them unto us that, as certainly as we receive and hold this sacrament in our hands and eat and drink the same with our mouths, by which our life is afterwards nourished, we also do as certainly receive by faith, which is the hand and mouth of our soul, the true body and blood of Christ, our only Savior in our souls, for the support of our spiritual life. Now, As it is certain and beyond all doubt that Jesus Christ has not enjoined to us the use of his sacraments in vain, so he works in us all that he represents to us by these holy signs. Though the manner surpasses our understanding and cannot be comprehended by us, as the operations of the Holy Spirit are hidden and incomprehensible, 
In the meantime, we err when we say that what is eaten and drunk by us is the proper and natural body and the proper blood of Christ. But the manner of our partaking of the same is not by the mouth, but by the Spirit through faith. Thus, then, though Christ always sits at the right hand of his Father in the heavens, yet does he not therefore cease to make us partakers of himself by faith. This feast is a spiritual table at which Christ communicates himself with all his benefits to us and gives us there and gives us there to enjoy both himself and the merits of his sufferings and death, nourishing, strengthening, and comforting our poor, comfortless souls by the eating of his flesh, quickening and refreshing them by the drinking of his blood. Further, further though the sacraments are connected with the things signified, nevertheless, both are not received by all men. The ungodly indeed receives the sacrament to his condemnation, but he does not receive the truth of the sacrament, even as Judas and Simon, the sorcerer, both indeed received the sacrament, but not Christ, who was signified by it, of whom believers only are made partakers. Lastly, we receive this holy sacrament in the assembly of the people of God with humility and reverence, keeping up among us a holy remembrance of the death of Christ our Savior, with thanksgiving, making their confession of our faith and of the Christian religion. Therefore, no one ought to come to this table without having previously rightly examined himself, lest by eating of this bread and drinking of this cup he eat and drink judgment to himself. In a word, we are moved by the use of this holy sacrament to a fervent love towards God and our neighbor. Therefore, we reject all mixtures and damnable inventions which men have added unto and blended with the sacraments as profanations of them, and affirm that we ought to rest satisfied with the ordinance which Christ and his apostles have taught us, and that we must speak of them in the same manner as they have spoken. All that the church does for the people of God and, and the reason for which it exists is that it might, it might bring us into fellowship with the Son of God. We are brought first into fellowship through faith in Christ and the gospel. We are constituted as, as righteous before God, forgiven of our sin, cleansed, and that is our justification. We stand there through the, the proclamation of that gospel that is found primarily and chiefly in the church of Jesus Christ. The church brings us into fellowship with God in that way. The church also is to serve our ongoing fellowship and communion with the Son of God through word and sacrament. And we consider that especially tonight as we think about the Lord's Supper and, and how it does that for us. We've mentioned the last couple of weeks talking about the Reformed view of the sacraments, how it, it's, a, it's a middle way. We're thinking against two particular errors, one which would say everyone who eats and who drinks the, the supper of the Lord or who receives the sacrament of baptism experiences the same exact thing in the doing of the sacrament itself. And I've mentioned that as almost the magical view of the sacraments. There's something magical that happens automatically. We're thinking about that error. And we're also thinking about the error which would say these sacraments have no meaning at all. And they have no spiritual significance at all. 
or trying to cut a middle path which we believe is indeed more faithful to Scripture, which says, as our confession says, that Jesus hasn't given these things to us in vain. He's given these things to us for our good, to nourish and sustain our faith. So there is meaning. But we have to understand it relative to all of the things that God says in all of his word, particularly how uh, we are brought into fellowship with God through faith. And faith is that category, that, pad, that paradigm through which we view all things in accordance with God and our relationship with him. Faith in Christ is foundational, and we can never lose that. So we think about those two errors, and as we consider the Lord's Supper, particularly tonight, I wanted to go to this passage uh, because there has been a lot of discussion throughout the history of the church about John 6 and whether or not Jesus makes any reference to the Lord's Supper. I believe there is great merit in thinking and, and seeing certain things about the Lord's Supper in this passage, but it has to be rightly understood, rightly regarded. So we'll do that as well as we can with the time that remains tonight. First, John chapter 6, and if you'd like to keep your Bible in front, uh, open in front of you, maybe a good idea because I will be running through some various things. But uh, verses 22 through 34 in John chapter 6, Jesus teaches us this, that human beings have a need for bread We have a need for bread, and Jesus uses that to talk about the necessity of belief. Human beings need bread, and Jesus uses that to talk about the necessity of belief. As I mentioned, Jesus has just gone through the feeding of the 5,000 here, and he has done this this miracle which creates this, this interesting situation in the ministry of Jesus because this miracle is about filling empty stomachs which creates a big temptation in the life of those who are following Jesus, a a temptation to misunderstand what he has been doing. And we've seen this time and time again as we've gone through Luke. Jesus heals someone sick. Jesus feeds the hungry. Jesus gives sight to the blind. And the temptation is to say, is this what Jesus is all about? Is this the fullness of his ministry to us? Or is there something more? Well, these people are following Jesus and they want to find him because of what he has done. So it's a bit, uh, it's a bit funny here in John chapter 6, verse 25, right? That as this story unfolds and they're kind of looking for Jesus, they realize only one boat has left. So there's almost this panic that arises in John chapter 6 of, where is Jesus gone? This guy who gave us the bread, we need to know where he is, we need to find him. And so in verse 25, they say, uh, they go to the other side of the lake. They're obviously looking for him. But when they encounter him, they say, oh, Rabbi, when did you get here? It's almost the fancy meeting you here, Jesus. We had no idea. We're just running into you like this. Jesus does, he knows what they're doing. And so he answers right back saying, look, I know you're looking for me. I tell you the truth, you're looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. You see, they were not regarding it as a sign. They were regarding that bread, that meal that Jesus gave to them as an end in itself. If we follow this guy around, he's going to feed us. He's going to be there to attend to all of our earthly and material needs. So Jesus begins by accusing them of being consumed with a desire for that which is earthly. 
for that which will satisfy their fleshly cravings. But there is a sense in which they, they want to participate in all that Jesus is doing. And uh, they, they want to, to be like him. They want to be able to do the things that he does. So they ask him a very dangerous question, don't they? John 6, verse 27. Jesus says, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. And there he, just with that one verse, he sort of sets, lays the groundwork for this whole discourse. Right? He's making a connection between earthly food and our heavenly needs. Work for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has set his seal. They asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one that he has sent. They they, they say to him, what must we do? Dangerous question. What must we do to do the work of God? We want to do the work of God. What you did yesterday, you're feeding us. That was cool. That was great. We want to know how we can do that and how we can follow and mirror this kind of thing in you. And what Jesus does is he points them to saving faith. How do I do the work of God? Jesus says you can't. What you need to do is to believe in the one whom he has sent. He elevates saving faith and he puts it in front of the people. He's also elevated them in terms of this heavenly food and this heavenly need that we have as human beings. So they ask for a a sign of authentication. Prove to us that you are this one. Prove to us that that you are uh, exactly what we need in the way that you're beginning to unfold for us. Verse 30. They say, what miraculous sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? And then they make a bit of a suggestion, don't they? They say, our forefathers ate the man in the desert. As it is written... He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus, if you really are what you are beginning to say that you are, bread from heaven, that you can give the life of God, you need to show us that you can do it. And in fact, our forefathers in the past had this experience where God gave them bread each and every day. I think that's part of their suggestion here is that uh, they're thinking about walking through the wilderness when manna rained down each day. So they're saying to Jesus, maybe you could give us bread again and show us, prove who you are. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses, this is verse 32, who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. You think of today, this morning, when the tomb is empty and Cleopas knows about all of, the, all of the evidence of Jesus, all the news of Jesus. I know about his life, saw him crucified, now I know that there's this resurrection rumor out there, but we have not seen the body of Jesus, right, even as he beholds Jesus. There, Cleopas and, and many people in the Gospels are always acting like they are the sovereign judge of all that Jesus is doing. Show me what you're going to do. Show me your miracles. And then I will decide whether or not I think that uh, you are worthy of being submitted to. Whether you you are worthy of one uh, that we should, whether worthy of being one that we should follow. You see that spirit a lot in, in this world. There are many people who will say that they're interested in thinking about Jesus and learning about what he taught. 
kind of keeping it at an arm's length. And of course, there are many good things to those kinds of relationships that we may have with people who are sort of trying out the Christian faith and thinking about whether or not they want to give their life to Christ. But really, what does it come down to, as Jesus teaches us in this passage? It's the drawing of the Father. It's the the life that he gives through the gospel. And, And that's not a halfway thing. When God brings someone to life and he gives them saving faith, it's, it's a change from death to life in a moment and in an instant. So Jesus says, oh, well, if, if you believe, uh, then the sign is right in front of you because I am the sign. I'm the reality to which all of these things are pointing. So what he does first is he elevates the necessity of belief. John chapter 6 is teaching to us the necessity of belief, having faith in the Son of God. The next aspect of the passage, verses 35 through 48, it shows us the necessity of coming to him and then once again reiterating the necessity of believing in him. The necessity of coming to him and believing in him. And look at how Jesus talks about this in John chapter 6, this next part, verses 35 through 48. First, he gives this first of the great I am statements in the Gospel of John. Verse 35, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. The Gospel of John has seven great I am statements. Jesus says things like, I am the door, I am the good shepherd. And in all of those things, Jesus is doing something very glorious and very mysterious to us. He begins it by saying, I am which harkens us all the way back to Exodus chapter 3 when God first reveals his name to Moses. He says to Moses, I am that I am. And the Hebrew form of that is echia asher echia. I am which I am. And the Greek form of that is ego eimi, I am. When Jesus is saying in John, I am the bread of life, I am the door, I am the good shepherd, he's showing us that he is the all-sufficient and self-existent God-man. But he's also revealing to us something about that God-man. In other words, he's bringing the transcendent. When God says, I am that I am, he's saying he's eternal. He does not exist within time. He is not bound by time. But then Jesus takes that transcendent truth and saying that transcendent God is giving you something that is imminent and close to you and helpful to you, like the bread of life or the good shepherd. So when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he's saying, I am the self-existent, all-sufficient God-man who also gives to the world something that is good for their life. Why does he use the picture of bread? He uses the picture of bread because he's telling us that he, Jesus, he alone is the staple for our spiritual life. All cultures have some kind of bread staple that they have normally out at the table. We don't have that as much anymore, but uh, you, know, you go back a couple of decades and there are usually most families would have some bread at each and every meal. Now we all, many of us, probably not many of us here, but a lot of people think bread is evil for some reason. I don't know why this continues to gain momentum out in the world. But bread was that staple, day-to-day staple for existence. 
In Asian cultures, they use rice. There's this simple carbohydrate that is the staple for life. So when Jesus uses that image for us, he's saying that I am the staple. I am that which holds our spiritual life, your spiritual life together, which nourishes you. He's fulfilling for us the words of Psalm 16. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. To be a biblical Christian is to understand and to know that God is our ultimate good and that we find what we need in him. That's fulfilled for us in Jesus as he says, I am the bread of life. And then Jesus gives the end goal of coming to him and believing in him. He's shown us the necessity of belief. Now he elevates for us the necessity of belief in him. Verse 38. I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Verse 40, very key to understand and to see that. Jesus says, everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Very simple. Pick apart what Jesus is saying here. How will we get to the resurrection of the dead? How will we experience eternal life and be raised? Jesus says, look to the Son and believe in him. Look to the Son and believe in him. So then we're going to jump forward then to the last part of this passage beginning in verse 49 as we begin to think about, and I'll just apply it quickly. There's a reason I'm going through it this way. I'll apply it quickly to the Lord's Supper. Jesus has said, what's important is to believe. This is God's will that you believe in the Son of God. And then he has said, how do you receive eternal life? You look to the Son and you believe in him. And then Jesus expands on the metaphor of the bread of life in verses 49 through 57. He does it by saying this. Here is the bread, in verse 50, here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this, of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. So this is clearly a metaphor. Jesus is clearly speaking with metaphorical language. But we should take note of how offensive this is to the Jews who hear him. They hear him speaking about all of these things and they begin to argue sharply with one another. Because even though this is is a metaphor, it's highly offensive for them. And sometimes we miss, as Christians, we miss the force of the work of Christ in the gospel. You think of some of the hymns that we sing, and I love singing this hymn on Lord's Supper Sundays. You probably have noticed it. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. It's wonderful comfort and reminders, but we often don't take the time to grasp how grotesque it is, you know. If churches were to have a a fountain out on the front lawn with blood flowing through it people would Christians themselves would say that's grotesque that's 
terrible. It's a terrible image. And oftentimes, uh, Scripture is bringing these images before us, even as it relates to Christ. In the book of Revelation, he is a, a robe that is dipped in blood. So it offends them because it's a, it's a grotesque image. And even though Jesus is speaking as, as a metaphor, he's saying the, the bread of life is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. It's not really a safe metaphor, is it? Because he's going to end up on the cross. His body will be broken and his blood will be spilled. Salvation is accomplished for us through these grotesque means. And one of the things that we're to get from that is how serious our sin is. And the depths to which God went and Christ went in order to atone for our sins. These unbelievable, human sacrifice for the Jew was completely unthinkable, right? They didn't have any of that like some of the pagan nations had around, some of the Canaanite religions had in, in those days, particularly in the Old Testament, human sacrifice. And that was unthinkable for the Jews. So even this kind of language that borrows from those ideas, even though it's not exactly talking about that, would be offensive. And yet even still, Jesus, as a human being, became the sacrifice for us. But he doubles down. And and what we need to understand is that Jesus has said, if you want to be resurrected on the last day, you need to look to me and you need to believe in me. And then he goes back to this metaphor of the bread of life and he says, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. And then he brings us then to this final passage that we look at. In verse 53, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Remember verse 40, don't you? What did Jesus say in verse 40? If you want to receive eternal life, if you want to be raised at the last day, what do you do? You look to the Son and you believe in him. But then look at verse 54. Jesus says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. If you take John 6, verse 54, on its own, and you apply it quite literally to the Lord's Supper, you may think that what Jesus is teaching in verse 54 is that anyone who comes to the table of the Lord and observes the Lord's table, eats the bread, drinks the wine, they will have eternal life, and they will be raised at the last day. But that's an improper way of understanding what Jesus is saying. It's been very clear from verse 22 on, what Jesus is bringing before us is the necessity of faith and believing in him. So you make verse 40 and verse 54 come together by saying, clearly what Jesus is saying is that to eat his flesh and to drink his blood is to look to him and believe in him. That's the whole thrust of the passage. To look to Jesus Christ and to believe in him is to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And that's what the confession says, and it says it very clearly. So that cuts us off from adopting that magical view, if you will, of the Lord's Supper. That we would go to a place like verse 54 and think that Jesus is saying the eating of his flesh and the drinking of his blood proper as we do it, that's what gives us eternal life. 
But we also have to remember that Jesus is intentionally using these pictures for us. And that later he's going to sit around with his disciples and he's going to hold up bread. And he's going to say, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take it and eat in remembrance of me. This blood is the, the new covenant. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do, uh, do it as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. He did this intentionally. And he would want us to think about and to be reminded of the Lord's Supper even as we read this scripture with the Holy, which the Holy Spirit has inspired. But we can't ha- adopt the kind of mentality that would say, as we observe the rite itself, we gain eternal life. But if we understand it in the context of faith, which Jesus has elevated for us, and he's saying, to eat my flesh is to look to me, to drink my blood is to believe in me, then what does it force us to do? It forces us to come to the table of the Lord Jesus Christ in faith looking to him and understanding that we participate in him and in his work as we trust in his work for us. We come through faith and we come in faith and by faith, knowing that Jesus did not institute these things for us in vain. And as the the confession says, which is one of the, the most beautiful passages in all the Belgian confession in this chapter where it says, as surely as you, you hold the elements in your hand, the bread and the, and the cup, that is how sure you can be that God is saving you through Christ and ministering to you by the power of the Holy Spirit. So certainly Jesus, in employing this metaphor, is showing us that the bread and the wine figuratively represent him. It's a metaphor. It's a picture. But his spiritual tone assure us that this is not spiritually bankrupt. There's a spiritual benefit for us coming and eating and drinking. So those who eat worthily of the table, those who come in faith, believing the gospel and doing exactly what Jesus says here, to eat his flesh is to look to him. To drink his blood is to believe in him. And when we eat the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Lord's Supper by the power of the Holy Spirit, then we are, by the help of the Holy Spirit, feasting on Christ, who is the life of our souls. He is the only life of our souls. So there is a spiritual benefit to it. And John 6, because of the the close line that that it walks down for us in helping us separate things and and seeing this error over here of the magical nature of the, the Lord's Supper and this error over here of the Lord's Supper is meaningless, it allows us to elevate the 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 what I call the faith filled position. The Reformed position is really the the faith position and understanding that by the power of the Spirit, Jesus Christ is in heaven. His body and his blood, his human nature, they are in heaven. But by the power of the Spirit, our souls are lifted up to heaven that we might eat and drink of Christ, on Christ, the only life of our souls. Another point that we should consider is that uh, Jesus here is emphasizing once again God's sovereignty and salvation. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And, and so it, it, it once again invades against the magical view because uh, Jesus is saying the only way that you will experience eternal life is by God initiating it. 
by God working in us first. For all of these things, then, what are we compelled to do? We are compelled to listen to Christ, to understand the necessity of faith, particularly the necessity of faith as we understand the life of our souls and God nourishing and sustaining our faith through this blessed sacrament of the Lord's Supper. May it be our prayer that we understand more and more the need of our souls to eat and to drink the flesh and the blood of Jesus Christ properly understood. For that means to look to him in faith and to come to him in faith and believe in him. And may it be our prayer that as we do so and as we are blessed to come to the table, Lord willing, the next time that we do, that the Spirit would lift up the eyes of our hearts, lift up our souls to heaven itself, that we would see the spiritual benefit for us, even as it reinforces to us the real and true gospel. You're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's initiative, God's doing, and giving us faith through the gospel. We're humbled to hear of these things, and to confess of our need for God's work in us. May he do so, may he be pleased as we think about these things together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for your work in us, how we need you. Father, you have saved us not by anything that is our doing, and we're reminded of that even as we think about the sacraments, that as our hand reaches out for the bread and the cup, that that small piece of human effort contributes nothing to our salvation but it's only Christ and what you have done for us through him. So we pray in his name, and we ask that you would encourage us this week, but that you would also encourage us to to look to the true meaning of these things and the importance of them, that we would not forget, and we would understand that Jesus has not given them to us in vain. Amen. Let's respond together by singing words from...